Gospel John chapter 10. And if you're a visitor with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, the Bible that's there in the pew, you're welcome to use. It'll, the words will also be on the screen in a few moments, but that Bible's also there for you as a gift. If you don't have the Word of God, please take it as a gift from us here at Grace. As you turn to the Gospel of John chapter 10, as we come this morning on our journey to Easter to Jesus' next self-revelation, His next I am saying, it's important to note before we read it that it doesn't take place. This disclosure doesn't come in a vacuum. When he speaks, as we will hear, he speaks directly to the Pharisees, part of the religious leadership of his day. And he's reacting to an incident that has just taken place, an argument that has led to a, another brother to be excluded from the faith community. And leading up to what we're about to hear this morning, let me just give you a recap. In the ninth chapter of John's Gospel, we hear about a man who was born blind that is miraculously healed by Jesus. This man, we are told, has been blind from birth. So when the neighbors and family of this man discover that he can see, naturally they want to know what happened. News travels fast, and it's not long before the Pharisees arrive on the scene to investigate the healing. Like a bunch of government agents, they interrogate everyone. And not liking the answers that they're getting, the Pharisees accuse the healed man of lying. And they accuse him of this by denouncing Jesus as a sinner and therefore a fraud. They pressure this man, the only witness to the miracle, to change his tune, to recant his testimony. But all this man can keep saying, and it's so beautiful in its simplicity, all this man can keep saying is, all I know is I was blind. But now I see. In their frustration, the religious leadership tosses the healed man out of the synagogue. They literally excommunicate him from the fellowship. Jesus finds this man and reassures him of his inclusion in the kingdom of God. And with the same breath, Jesus accuses the religious leadership of being spiritually blind. And as we come to our text this morning, Jesus' rebuke turns into a parable about a shepherd and his sheep. Through this imagery, beloved, Jesus offers us another glimpse into who he is and why he has come into our lives. From the Gospel of John, chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Let us hear the word of the Lord. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever visited a gated community? Perhaps you live in one. Entering a gated community requires you to know someone on the inside. 
A resident of that community has to alert the gatekeeper in order to give you access. At the very least, that person will leave your name, but sometimes a detailed description of your arrival time, the car that you'll be driving, what you look like can also be necessary. If you've had this experience, you reach the entrance, which is blocked off, and the gatekeeper comes out to size you up. The gatekeeper decides whether or not to let you through. Now, stereotypically, this is our picture of a gatekeeper's role. They are people whose job it is to regulate traffic, to maintain quality control. These are individuals who pay attention to matters of security, making sure that only the things that are up to code go through, that only the people, the right people, get in. Through their decisions, they decide what is up to standard and what is not, who is qualified to enter and who is not. Though we know this and we understand it, most of us tend to have a love-hate relationship when it comes to gatekeepers. And it's all a matter of perspective. If we're on the inside looking out, we want gatekeepers to do their job and limit the accessibility of others. But if we're on the outside looking in, those who are blocking our access to things unknown frustrate us. As Jesus reveals yet another dimension of who he is, is the image of a gatekeeper what he is trying to convey to us? Is Jesus the security guy at the entrance to heaven? When we recite the words of the Apostles' Creed, one of the things we say out loud is this, Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Is Jesus the one who stands at the gate of heaven checking references and reviewing performance tapes to see who is worthy to enjoy the riches of heaven? Over the centuries, and I would say even today, this is the predominant image for many both outside and inside the church. Heaven is seen as the ultimate gated community. Not an easy place to get into. In our jokes and in our cultural anecdotes about heaven, Jesus has delegated the gatekeeper role to St. Peter, who sits at the gate of heaven checking credentials. You don't get past St. Peter unless you're on the short list, unless Jesus has put in a good word for you. Or, depending upon the joke, you know some loophole. Now, I know as I'm saying this that for some of you, alarms are going off. And I know all about our Lutheran heritage or our even broader Protestant tradition of declaring it is by grace alone that we are saved. Amen to that. And yet, while this is what we say we believe, in our day-to-day -day life as the body of Christ, there are some of us, some of us here at Grace perhaps, some of us in the larger community, some of us who act as though this security job has been subcontracted to us in the church. Some of us have become convinced that it's our job as Christians to stand guard over the kingdom. As followers of Christ, we have to protect his church by making judgments over who is worthy and who isn't, by ensuring the right people have access and the riffraff are kept out. Now, if you think I'm making a big deal out of nothing, maybe you didn't see it, and I encourage you to YouTube it. A while back, the United Church of Christ began an ad campaign for their denomination. And one of the commercials for the ad campaign literally starts with a church, and people are coming to go to church, but when they get there, there's literally uh, a barrier, ropes, like at a nightclub. And there are guys with microphones, and as people come up, they go, oh, no, not you. No, 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 not you. Yeah, you can come in. No, no, not you. And it ends by showing a diversity of people and saying, Jesus didn't keep anyone out. 
Neither do we. That was a national commercial. Beloved, I'd like to question this understanding of Jesus as well as of his church. And, and what's interesting about this passage this morning is that even Jesus had to clarify what he meant the first time that he said these words. Did you notice that? John tells us that Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I am the gate. For us to understand the significance of this metaphor that Jesus is using to describe himself, we need some perspective on the kind of entrance that he is alluding to. In the culture that Jesus first spoke these words, it was customary for shepherds to bring the sheep down from the hills in the evening in order to protect them from wolves and mountain lions that would hunt for food. At night, the shepherds would gather their sheep together and lead them into large pens. These large pens were called sheepfolds. And these sheepfolds consisted of large walls about five feet high made out of rocks. Lining the top of the four walls were briars or prickly branches. These briars were intended to function much like barbed wire at the top of our fences today to prevent others from jumping over the barrier to keep out the mountain lions and the wolves. Now, the doorway of the sheepfold was only about two feet wide. It was a small entry, almost like a gap in the wall. And the door that marked this spot was not made out of wood. It wasn't made out of linen. It wasn't made out of stones or any other material. The shepherd himself was the gate or the door. In the evening, the shepherd would sleep in the tiny opening of the rock wall. He would sleep there by the fire with his rod and staff. Literally and actually, the shepherd himself was the gate. If any mountain lion or wolf tried to come into the sheepfold, that predator would have to come through the shepherd first. Now, based on this description, it sure sounds like Jesus wants us to perceive him as a gatekeeper, doesn't it? Jesus even talks about protecting his sheep from robbers and thieves who come to steal, kill, and destroy. Doesn't this mean that what Jesus is trying to tell us about himself through this metaphor is that he is the one who lets in the good, desirable people and keeps out the bad? Now, while I won't deny that we can understand Jesus as our protector, as our advocate and our defender, this is not, I believe, the revelation that Jesus wants us to understand here. Jesus says, I am the gate. Beloved, what's the purpose of a gate? A gate, as we've heard described, is an opening in a fence or a wall. A gate is a means of access, a way to get in. Keeping the bad guys out is not what the gate is for. That's the job of the wall. Wolves, thieves, robbers are kept out by the fence, not by the gate. And it's worth noticing that Jesus describes these predators as attacking from the inside. Thieves don't come through the front door, at least not if they're smart. Evil doesn't come through Jesus to accomplish its ends. Robbers climb over the fence. They jump the walls. Evil tries to get by without Jesus. Think about it, the best way to steal, the best way to hurt or destroy is from the inside. Remember, Jesus is reacting to the religious leadership of his day, the insiders who have just attempted to rob a healed man of his joy and salvation, his inclusion in the kingdom of God. The thieves and robbers that Jesus has in mind, I would argue, 
are snake oil salesmen, con artists, hypocritical preachers, and self-help gurus who seek to fleece the flock and mislead the faithful. These shady characters come into the church with their own credentials and ambitions, with their own personal creeds and twisted gospels. They pay lip service to Jesus. They throw his name around a lot. But instead of following his words and ways, they do what they like and love what they do for themselves. Instead of being committed to Christ, they are committed to their own esteem and well-being. And in the end, they end up preaching their own gospels to justify their lifestyle choices. Beloved, sometimes these predators are not easy to recognize. Sometimes we can be victims simply of what we hear, of the spirits of the age rather than actual flesh and blood persons. There are all sorts of contrary philosophies that we can be willing to follow. There are any number of competing voices out there that have but to call our name and we will obediently follow. For some, it's the voice of despair that says over and over again, give up, give up, you failed, you let everyone down, and there's no turning back. For others, there's the voice of convenience that repeats over and over in our head saying, nobody has to know. Nobody understands you need this. And as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. How does one tell the difference between contemporary wisdom and true wisdom? How does one find their way in this world of TMI, too much information, in an age of information overload, at a time when there are so many forces competing for our attention, working so hard to jump over the wall and take us to take our thoughts captive? Jesus says, look for the gate. Listen for my voice. Listen for the voice of Christ. Jesus is the entryway. Jesus is the access point. Beloved, let me suggest to you this morning that another way to look at gates, which I believe is closer to what Jesus had in mind here, comes this way. Does anyone know the nickname for the city of St. Louis? The Gateway City. The Gateway to the West. Now, the gateway to the West, St. Louis, does that mean that the people of the city of St. Louis view their purpose as being the security force for the Western United States? Does St. Louis assume the responsibility of seeing who gets to go West and who doesn't? Is the reason for that fantastic, breathtaking gateway arch in good old St. Lou to keep people out? Of course not. If you've ever seen that arch, you know that it's wide open. That arch couldn't stop and doesn't stop anyone or anything because that's not the purpose of the gate. Historically, St. Louis, Missouri was the best place from which travelers could access the western United States. It was the place that made it possible for travelers to get to the west. The gateway arch serves as a landmark to let people know that if you want to get to the west, this is the place to go. The gateway stands not as a barrier, but as an invitation to everyone. Many of you know, or I'm allowed to share with you, that I just recently got back from a family wedding in New York. New York's my hometown, and one of the things I got to show my kids for the first time from afar was the Statue of Liberty. How many of you have ever seen the Statue of Liberty before? And I don't mean in a picture. I mean you've actually gotten to see it. Oh, the numbers went down. Bummer. <laughs> it's, a, it's, an, it's an impressive sight. 
It's an impressive sight when you take the boat over there to see it because you get something akin to what our ancestors felt. There she stands in New York Harbor at a point, by the way, called the Gateway to America. In the eyes of many of our ancestors, she was a symbol of what? Exclusivity? No, she was a symbol not of a place where only the elite get in and the riffraff get turned away. She was a symbol of something else. Do you remember? Do you know? Did you learn in school what it says right on the base of the statue standing in that gateway? Here are the words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these homeless tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Words of invitation to the huddled masses. An invitation to the freedom of new life and new opportunities for the wretched refuse. These very words of grace penned by Emma Lazarus that mark the gateway to our nation echo the words of freedom offered by Jesus Christ when he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. Beloved, when Jesus describes himself as the gate, the image that he is trying to convey to us is not a gatekeeper, but a gateway. The doors of that gate are wide open. The arms of Jesus are wide open and the invitation is to come and see what is on the other side of the gate, to come and discover what is found by accessing him. And what is that? Life. Abundant life. Jesus is the gateway to greener pastures that stretch as far as the eyes can see. Jesus is the gateway to abundant life. When Jesus says he can open up a gateway, well, he can open up a world, he's the gateway to abundant life for you, he does not have in mind a selective process. Anyone can use the gate. His voice, his love, his grace reaches out to all persons. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are in pain and suffering. You who are being crushed under the weight of expectations. You who are being judged and rejected. Come to Jesus, all who can't seem to get a break anymore. All who are hesitant about the future. All who have lost hope. Come to the gate and cross over the threshold. Die to the old tapes. To the empty promises of other gods of thieves and robbers. Die to the wisdom of this world and enjoy the rivers of compassion. The wealth of possibility that come from the foolishness of God. The foolishness of God displayed on the cross and made pronounced in the victory of the resurrection. Enter the gateway of freedom. The gateway that is open to all. The gateway that is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And beloved, anyone can use the gate. In Luke's gospel, Jesus makes a very telling statement about doors and gates. Jesus says, knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. In Jesus' world, doors and gates are entrances. They open easily. Doors aren't there to keep people out. For everyone who seeks life through Jesus, the door opens. For those who come through the, the gate, there is no barrier. Our very last book. The last book in our story, the book of Revelation, contains many visions of gates and doors in heaven. And if you go back and were to highlight them, none of them are locked. Not one. Most of them stand wide open at all times. Beloved, the only people that can't enter the world of new life 
are those who won't use the gate. The only people who can't get this abundant life that Jesus offers are the people who don't want it. And sadly, most of these kind of people are not the outsiders. It's the insiders. It's those who have professed to have gone through the gateway, but in fact are spending all their time guarding the entrance. They are so busy being gatekeepers that they are missing the gateway. They are so fixated on reducing access, on controlling the flow, that they miss opportunities. They miss the abundance. Such persons are not just robbing others. This is the great tragedy of it all. They're not just robbing others. They're stealing joy and life from themselves. The Jesus we seek to follow is the one who is the gate, the door, the Christ of invitation. We do not worship a begrudging, suspicious, nightclubber, bouncer sort of Jesus with his hand held out as a shield. We look to a Jesus whose hands are stretched out in an embrace, in a posture of welcome and encounter that is definitively revealed on the cross. Beloved, if this is the Jesus that we know, if this is the Jesus that we hear in Scripture, if he is the gateway to abundant and eternal life, then we, as the body of Christ, we, as the church, are called to be the same. We are not called to be a church that guards its doors and keeps them tightly shut, allowing only those who fit, those who think, look, and act like the rest of us to enter. We are not called to be a church with her head in the sand, a church that is so fearful of what is out there that it only opens the door a little, peering out through a safety chain, so worried about letting the heat out that she misses the stranger, the brother or sister that Jesus has invited in. We are not called to be a church that locks herself behind the door, locks herself behind the door to her past so she can avoid facing the future. Always lamenting about what used to be. Always complaining about what isn't instead of acknowledging and celebrating the new possibilities that come through Jesus each and every day. The mercies of God that as we sing that are new every morning. We are not to be a church that claims to offer more. To offer abundance, fullness of life. But once you're inside only proves to be neurotic, conflicted and superficial taking away more than she gives, delivering less rather than more, narrowing one's view of the world and reality, diminishing people and weighing them down. My brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are any of these kind of churches, we are little more than thieves and robbers. We have lost our gate. We have taken our eyes off of and deafened our ears to Jesus. But when Jesus is our gateway, we are a people, we become a church that shouts welcome, that exudes hospitality. We don't just talk positively and enthusiastically about the difference that faith, that faith makes. We live our faith. It teems from within us. We model forgiveness with each other. We practice carrying each other's burdens by engaging in real conversation. We restore dignity and hope by getting up and going out into the neighborhood and demonstrating love in action. We cultivate the freedom that Jesus gives us by sharing the joy, comfort, and sorrows of others. 
And beloved, when we are that kind of church, we are a family. And we are home. This place is home. This body becomes a reflection, a means of glimpsing God's beauty in Christ. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that I was called to lead. That's the kind of church that we are called to be. And in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our frustrations, in the midst of our bumps in the road, we cannot lose sight of the gate. We cannot lose sight of the gate. Because when we are disoriented by everything else, when we are divided by everything else, all we need to find, all we need to seek is the gate. Beloved, we are a church And a church is called to be a body whose doors are open because the door itself, the one who stands at the door is the risen Christ, the one who laid down his life so that we might enter fullness of life, his life. And so this morning we see one who goes from being an outcast to an invited guest. As with the healed man who was blind from birth, we also awake to who we are in this spiritual freedom of the gate. Our brother Paul wrote these words that speak so beautifully. They just, they parallel what we're seeing here as Jesus proclaims, I am the gate. Jesus is the gateway. Paul wrote, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with veiled, unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our passage through the gate, beloved, receiving the embrace of our freedom in Christ is a lifelong journey. We are being changed into gateways, gateways to freedom, gateways to hope, gateways to love. But that transformation is only possible if we anticipate what is on the other side. If we experience heaven even now, on earth as it is in heaven, as we listen to the voice that is calling us, that is bringing us home. The door is open. The gate stands before us. Just as the man who was once blind can now see. Just as the man who was rejected from the temple then found his home. His pasture with Jesus, beloved. So will we. So will we. Amen? Amen. Amen.